Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 62. We're going to be in Psalm 62 this morning. It is on page 479 in the Pew Bibles. And I would encourage you, if you do not have a Bible, you don't have a personal Bible, uh, after the service, you can pick one up. It would be a free gift to you from our church. We would love for you to be able to have a Bible that you can read during the week and come and bring here and study along with us as we go through uh, each of our Sunday sermons. Now, our psalm for this morning is about waiting. Psalm 62 is about waiting On the Lord. Now, the science of waiting is a rather interesting psychological study. The Otis Elevator Company has spent much time and effort seeking to understand the psychology of waiting because elevators present us all with an opportunity to wait when we are on the move. Now, the very point of an elevator, as you know, is to get you from point A to point B in a more efficient manner, and yet to ride the elevator, you have to wait. You have to pause your travels for a few moments. You have to press the call button, wait for the elevator to arrive. And once the elevator arrives, you have to wait for the doors to close that you can get going again. And once those doors close, you have to wait as the elevator takes you to your destination. On paper, it doesn't seem like that bad of an experience, but research shows that people are very impatient with elevators. A good waiting time is 15 seconds. Yet, if the wait stretches beyond 45 seconds, people become visibly agitated. Foot tapping, jingling the change in the pocket, pacing, scanning the walls and ceiling with apparent concentration. And if the elevator should take longer than a minute, the waiting becomes almost unbearable. And once the elevator does arrive, our exasperation with the whole process intensifies as we enter the elevator, select our floor, and then have to wait for those doors to close. Within two seconds, people begin to start pressing the door close button, even if somebody's running, yelling, hold the door. I'm sorry, I I didn't see him. We want things faster. We want things more efficient. And in many ways, technology has delivered a faster world. We have faster food, faster information, faster travel. I ordered a commentary on the Psalms on Wednesday afternoon. It arrived Thursday morning. And yet, despite our advances, the majority of life still consists of waiting. Despite all the advances that we have made, the majority of the time that we spend on earth is time that we wait. We get our dinner faster, but we do not grow up any faster. We get our news in an instant, but we have to wait to see what career path opens for us. We have our overnight shipping, but we have to wait for the Lord to provide a spouse, for children to be born, for grandchildren to be born, for graduation dates, for diagnosis to be delivered. You see, in some sense, every stage of life is a time of waiting for the next stage to come. And so if you're not good at waiting, you will struggle through most of life. If you're always looking ahead in anticipation or in anxiety for what is to come, you will miss the blessing of your time to wait. The life of God's people in particular is a life of waiting. Of course, we see such commands throughout Scripture. Psalm 34 says, wait on the Lord. 
Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. But it's not only the commands of Scripture. It is also the providence of God that calls us to wait. Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. Moses and Israel waited 40 years in the wilderness to enter the promised land. For generations, God's people had to wait for the Messiah. And even now, we who follow Christ are called to wait for Him to come again. God in His wise and good providence has written into the story of our lives waiting. Waiting for elevators, stoplights, grocery lines, but also waiting for joy to come, for pain to stop. For milestones to pass. For a suffering relative to die. For salvation to come. And what we see in our psalm for this morning is that we are to trust in the Lord during our time to wait. So let us hear now the word of the Lord in Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken. Twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, we pray now by your word and spirit. That in your light we may truly see light. In your truth we might find freedom. And in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What does it mean when the psalm says that our soul is to wait in silence for God alone? Twice in our psalm we see this phrase repeated, first in verse 1 and then again in verse 5. Look there at verse 5 in your text. You see it says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. Now, the three words, wait in silence, are only one word in the Hebrew text. Yet, several words are needed to try and get at the sense of this one, this one word means. The NIV translates this word as 
find rest. The New Living Translation says, wait quietly. And the Amplified Version says, from this one word, wait in silence and quietly submit. Six words to get at the meaning of this one Hebrew word. And yet it might be this final translation that is getting at the full breadth of meaning. Commentator James May says that this one word speaks of a quietness of soul. An inner stillness that comes with yielding all fears and anxieties and insecurities to God in an act of trust. You see, when I'm holding our two-week-old baby Josephine and she's fussing because she's hungry, there's only one thing that's going to do. Get mama. And once this little girl gets into the arms of her mother... She calms down because she has already learned, she knows that when she gets to mom, she will be fed. She waits, sometimes in silence, but always with a yieldedness that says, I wait for you alone. Dad can't do it. Grammy can't do it. Only mom can give me what I need. Do you see what it means to wait in silence? It means that when we are in the arms of God, we are willing to yield to His plans and His purposes because it is from Him alone that we will receive what we need. In Philippians 4, 7, it is described as the peace that passes all understanding. It is the quiet confidence that trusts in God to deliver, to provide, and to protect. And our psalm says that our soul is to find such stillness and submission in God only. Not in a spouse, not in our children, not in government, our business, not in money, our sport. But our soul is to confidently yield and rest in God alone. But why should we give God such trust? What reasons has He given us that we should wait on Him alone? Well, as we look at the rest of verse 1 and 2 and then 5 through 7, we will read of these reasons to wait on God alone. For it says, from Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Then in verse 5, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Why wait for God? Well, if we had to distill it down to two points, we could say we trust in God alone because God saves and because God protects. We yield to God in trust and confidence because from Him comes salvation. And not just any salvation, but as the text continually says, my salvation throughout the Word of God is a witness to His saving power. For God saved Noah from the flood. He saved Moses from the Egyptians. He saved Israel from the Amalekites. He saved David from Saul. And He delivered Israel from Babylon. God saves His people. And the greatest salvation that the Word of God teaches us is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For we are told that by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, Jesus has opened the way of salvation for His people. For He has defeated our triple enemy of sin, Satan, and death and has given us forgiveness from sin, freedom, and life. And therefore, we are called to wait for Him in silence, to submit to Him, to trust His salvation, to quietly yield our souls to Christ because we know in Him alone is salvation. And yet He does not only save, For the Word of God tells us that we are to wait on God alone because He protects or He keeps those who trust in Him. We see a few different metaphors employed to communicate this truth. In these verses, God is called my rock. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. For a few years when I was in middle school, my dad was stationed in Belgium working at the NATO base dubbed Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, or simply SHAPE. Now, on that base was a massive bunker that went several stories down into the ground, and there were housed all the strategic military operations of NATO. This bunker was designed to sustain a direct nuclear blast from the Soviets and continue its operations. It was a true modern fortress. Nothing could harm those who were in it. And this is the language that the psalmist is using of the Lord. Though there is many who might seek to assail those who trust in God, He is a fortress. Those in Him cannot be shaken. Paul expresses this same truth when he says in the book of Romans, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is a rock. He is a fortress. He is a refuge. So why do we silently wait before God alone? Because Christ alone is our salvation and Christ alone is our protection in this world. And so if God is so mighty to save and mighty to protect, why then do we have such a hard time waiting? Waiting for Him. Yielding to Him. Well, we see a few things in our psalm that point to the struggle of waiting on the Lord. In verse 3, the first two words point to one reason why it's hard to wait. There we read, if you look there at verse 3, the first two words, How long? Why is it hard to wait? Because we don't know how long we have to wait. Waiting on the Lord is difficult because it seems as though things take a long time to happen when God is moving. Time is an obstacle to waiting. The Lord's salvation seems to delay. It seems like He wants to make us sweat a little bit before He will deliver us. 
I mean, why is it that the Lord took 25 years to fulfill his promise to Abraham? He was 75 years old when the promise was made. Why wait till he's 100 to give him a son? Why did the Lord lead the people of Israel to the very edge of the Red Sea to be trapped by the Egyptians to then deliver them? And why does he allow us to endure trials, waiting, sickness and pain Before he delivers us. Why does God take his time in our life? The apostle Peter explains it this way. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How long? Until the Lord has accomplished His work in your heart. It is quite easy to wait for a moment, but as you wait through a night of pain, repentance and submission to God is brought about in your heart. Why does it take so long? Because it takes so long for us to change. For our hearts to submit to God. The second thing that we see is that vulnerability is an obstacle to waiting On the Lord. Look at the rest of verse 3. There we read, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Simply put, it's hard to wait because we feel like we're on the verge of falling. We are a tottering, leaning wall that is going to fall over at any minute we are under attack either overtly or behind closed doors we don't know if we can take one more bad word spoken to us or spoken about us we feel beat up and then one more blow comes and all the gravity of life's hardship is pulling you down and you want to defend yourself you want to run away you want to fix your situation yet Though we are vulnerable, we must trust in the fortress and not the tottering wall of our lives. For though we feel that we are about to fall, those who are in the Lord will not be shaken. Third, it's hard to wait on the Lord because other help seems closer at hand. We tend to trust the things that we can see and the people that we know. But our psalm tells us that these are false hopes for deliverance and trust. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They together are lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. You see, wait on God alone, not man and not money. Man seems like one on whom we may rely, but everyone from the most poor to the most powerful are but a breath or a dream. If you weighed them in a balance, if you put them on one side, they would just go straight up because they have no weight about them. In like fashion, we are not to wait or yield ourselves to the power of money. For the word of God says that it is vain hope. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he taught us 
and Luke chapter 12, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crop. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, right? Yield. Be quiet, oh my soul. You have plenty of goods. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. To who or to what do you yield your soul? Do you wait quietly for the salvation of a governor or a president? Do you yield yourself to your wealth and say, soul, relax and rest quietly because you have plenty of goods to make it all the way through retirement? Despite all of the temptations to trust in something or someone else, the Word of God calls us to wait silently before the Lord alone. Two more points, and very quickly I assure you. It's about waiting, right? Just a little insight. My little clock that was here broke, so I have no idea what time it is. We're just going to have to wait. First, what is the work of waiting? Indeed, we see that silence is not actually the quintessential element in our understanding of what it means to wait because we read in verse 8 of our text, Trust in Him at all times, O people, Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. We are to yield to the Lord with trust and dependence. But as we wait, we must pour out our hearts to Him in prayer and in worship. You see, we miss the point of what it means to wait on God alone if we imagine a stoic, stone-faced, emotionless endurance of life. No, It might sound strange, but the way that we wait silently before God is to pour out our hearts before God. It is to take all of our anxieties and all the fears of life and offer them up to Him. When you are falsely accused at work, don't silently bear up, but pour out your heart to the Lord. As you wait through this life with chronic pain, don't just stand there stoically and say, I can handle it, but pour out your heart to the Lord. As you wait for your prodigal child to return to Christ, call out to God in prayer, calling upon Him to draw your child back. When you're waiting for direction at work, pray for the Lord's leading. As you wait silently on God alone, call out to Him at all times. For He is a refuge for us. He is our fortress. He is our Savior. He will hear our cries as we wait for Him. And He will save us. So how are we to wait? We are to wait with heartfelt prayer and praise. Daily calling out to God in our times of prayer. Fathers leading their families in prayer and worship. Coming to the Lord's day ready to worship Him. 
coming on Sunday evenings and calling out together with the congregation here at Rivermont at 4 o'clock. Joining this congregation on the first Tuesday of each month as we fast and pray. This month we are praying for marriages. Join us and call out to the Lord in prayer. This is how we are to silently wait for the Lord. And finally, what is the hope of waiting on God alone? In verses 11 and 12, we see the answer. You can look there. It says, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. You see, we wait on the Lord alone because He alone has the power to save and He alone has the faithfulness to save. That is, He is both able and willing to keep His promises to save His people. And God will in His good time validate the trust that we have in Him and He will shatter the illusions of those who trust in human strength and worldly riches. You see, the hope of waiting on the Lord alone is that through the Lord Jesus Christ He will deliver all of those who turn from the vanity of this world to the fullness of Christ. As we read in the book of 1 Thessalonians 1, of the faith of the church in Thessalonica, it says how you turn to God from idols, from these vain, empty idols, to do what? To serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, life is about waiting. Sometimes we are waiting for little things like elevators. Other times we are waiting for bigger things like wedding days. Sometimes we wait for wonderful things like the birth of a child. And other times we are waiting for difficult things like a terminal illness to come to the end in the death of a spouse or a parent. Yet in all this time of our waiting, we are to wait upon the Lord alone. For when He comes, our silent waiting will end. And an eternity of praise will begin through Christ Jesus our Lord alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now in this time and we pour out our hearts before you, asking that you would truly teach us to wait upon you. In the small things of life, may we wait upon you. In the hardships of life, may we wait upon you. In the joys of life, may we wait upon you. And ultimately, May it be said of us that we turn from the vain idols of this world, from man that is but a breath, from riches that will not deliver, to serve You and to wait for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that He has won for us. It's in Him that we do pray. Amen.